This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey guys, so um, before the episode starts, I am the worst sister in the world and completely forgot to even mention my brother's song that's (laughs) in this episode. So uh, here's me recording after the entire episode just to put that in there. But um, my brother just recently released an EP with his band Ronson called um, The Heart and Soul EP. And, um, this song has been featured in another one of our episodes before. I honestly don't remember which one, but, uh, um, it's called Leave Your Door Cracked Open and you can find it on Spotify and a few other places that I keep forgetting to, um, look up, but, uh, yeah, check out his music. Hey, Juicers, I'm Brooke. And I'm Alyssa. And this is... For God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. Welcome back to episode 53. Hi. And it just so happens that this episode comes out exactly when it's supposed to. Whoop, whoop. What is up with that? But unfortunately, next week's episode will not. <laughs> no. Because Thursday, Brooke and I are leaving to go to Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. Can't wait. Which we're both very excited about. Yes. I think. Very, very much. So that episode will probably be... A couple days late. Yeah, and but we're going to cover some Massachusetts horrors, such as the Salem Witch Trials and Lizzie Borden, so... Mm -hmm. That should be a good episode coming back. So just um, look out for that. It'll be definitely a few days late, because we get back the day that... Our episode would normally come out. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, do you have anything exciting or cool to talk about? No, not really. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about my new venture again, but I've, I've talked about it a lot. And literally what we just had to go through was so annoying. <laughs> we just spent... Like, legit, like, two hours trying to figure out how to print a freaking shipping label for my new business. Which we did eventually but we did well i'm sorry we Alyssa, did i always say i'm not computer savvy but i'm beginning to think i might be she's way more so than i am i'm like 65 that's how i feel 
Well, I don't know anything about computers, but somehow I figure out a way to do it. So oh, it was a nightmare. There's probably a way easier way, but I finagled it and we got it. Yes, yes. So if you know how to do that, literally message me and tell me so that I can relay it to Brooke. It seems like it would be so much easier than it just was. That was pretty ridiculous. After we get done, we'll set that up to my laptop and see. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I feel nauseous now. <laughs> Anyways, um, I don't really have anything exciting um, I got all my classes situated for school, mm-hmm. which is cool. I was really worrying about that because I couldn't get in touch with inv- with advisement for like two whole months, and I was registered for two classes, but I needed two more, and it was not letting me register them online. And I was thinking, because it's been like seven years since I've taken my ACT, that I would have to take like a test for math or something, but they were like, oh no, you don't like your high school transcript um, or your high school GPA transferred over. I don't know why that was happening. So they signed me up and I'm all good. That's fantastic. So when do you officially start? January 10th. Wow. I'm so happy for you. And my first semester term or whatever is completely online. So that'll be good I can do it while Titus is at school or mm-hmm. after he goes to sleep so well, I'm excited for that wonderful news I'm so glad it all worked out thank you me too do you just want to go ahead and jump into it let's freaking do it I think Brooke and I are both done for the day mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but let's hype it up a little bit <laughs> I'm trying I feel <laughs> I think I need some water <laughs> So, um, this week I am covering, um, the mysterious death of Phoebe Hanschuk. And Brooke said she had no idea who this is. Nope. Actually, Brooke said she was also covering Phoebe and I was like, what? No way. And then she said, just kidding. And I was like, you bitch. (laughs) So my sources are phoebehanschuk.com and medium.com. And I watched a documentary um, from Under Investigation, The Mystery of the Girl in the Shoot, How Did She Die? Ooh. And then I used MarieClaire.com. So. All right. A few different sources. The Girl in the Shoot. Yes. Mm. So this is a very interesting one. A lot of you probably already know this story because it's pretty popular, but. um, We gonna do it anyway. Yes. So Phoebe was born May 9th, 1986. Her mom, Natalie, described her as being a live wire from the very beginning. She was a happy baby with an old soul. Mm. They lived in a beautiful house with tons of trees that Phoebe loved to climb. Um, Apparently, she used to also climb on the roof of the house and (laughs) just kind of sit up there and enjoy herself. Wild little thing. Yeah. Um, she was absolutely beautiful. Like you have to see a picture of her. She was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. She was very adventurous and creative. She loved rock climbing and hiking. Natalie referred to Phoebe as her tiger cub. Oh. She had always dreamed of having an art-based career. Her journals were filled with drawings and poetry. Three months before her tragic fate, she had written and recited a poem for her grandmother who had passed away. Phoebe was also very close with her with her mother Natalie, her father Lynn, and her two younger brothers Nikolai and Tom. Mm-hmm. 
Unfortunately, though, her parents eventually divorced, which caused her to spiral into a depression and resort to drugs and alcohol. Oh, no. She began hanging out with questionable people and eventually ran away from home when she was 15. She lived in a squat for eight weeks with an ex-prisoner, his partner, and their baby. She returned home and began taking antidepressants to help stabilize her. Oh. When she was 16, she began a quote-unquote relationship with a teacher who was twice her age, which kind of propelled her into a theme of dating older men. Mm-hmm. So Phoebe was in a relationship with 43-year-old Anthony Hample. He was also twice her age, and the relationship never appeared as though it would last in Phoebe's mother's eyes. They met while Phoebe was 23 and working as a receptionist at Lindley Godfrey's hair salon, which is where Anthony always got his hair cut. So Anthony was like an events promoter and the son of former Victorian Supreme Court Judge George Hample, and his stepmom was serving County Court Judge Felicity Hample. They had only been dating five months when she moved into his apartment in October of 2009. Phoebe loved painting and had that unmistakable creative person clutter, whereas Anthony loved a home that appeared as if nobody lived in it, which is just... Polar opposite. So not me. And creepy. Like, I like a house that looks like people definitely live there. Well, I am maximalist to the core, so that would, like, I would walk in and be like, ew. Yeah, like, it it reminds me of a staged house for, like, uh, somebody trying to sell their house, and they just stage it to kind of, you know, have that furniture in there, but there's really nobody Mm -hmm. that lives there. Mm -hmm. So weird. Um, Someone's calling me. Oh, Mapleton, Georgia. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, where was I? So one day, Phoebe left the salon early because she was stressed about an ink stain on the carpet that she didn't want Anthony to find. Ooh. Yeah, so she was going there to clean it before he got home. Mm-hmm. Joanna Young, who is Phoebe's psychologist wondered if Phoebe was suicidal. She had confided in Joanna that Anthony always put her down and made her feel stupid. Oh, no. Anthony said that Phoebe was self-destructive and, this is a quote, struggled every day to do the simplest tasks, and I feel like that's... What a shitbag. Right. I feel like that's a very just bad way to describe your partner. Mm-hmm. Even if they do, mm-hmm. that's just not what you describe them as. Natalie said that Phoebe drank to help overcome her social um, anxiety when she was around Anthony's friends because they were older, attractive, and wealthy. Natalie recalls a phone call with Phoebe where she said, Mom, I just don't know what to do. I love Ant, but it's not working. And that's what she called Anthony, Mm -hmm. Ant. Phoebe and Anthony had separated four times in the six weeks leading up to her death. Wow. And on December 4th, 2010, Phoebe sent a group message to her parents, siblings, and grandmother saying, Hi, family. I am in bed and about to sleep. And when I wake, I will transform into the most incredible human being you've ever seen. Mm. Dot, 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 not. I will go to hospital 
it's safer there and i hear that and i hear the special tonight is tomato soup delicious nutritious i love you all very much but not enough to send an individual text sorry about that but time is sleep and i must be on my way merrily 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 life is but a dream xo what yeah that's super creepy very bizarre um so clearly this message sent some red flags and it worried her parents that phoebe wasn't doing well mentally yeah but anthony told them not to worry and assured them that she was fine unfortunately though this would be the last text they would ever get from her oh on december 2nd 2010 phoebe was alone in her shared 12th story luxury balencia apartment in melbourne Suddenly, the fire alarm went off, and Phoebe is seen on CCTV CCTV footage walking outside the apartment with um, their dog at 11.44 a.m., and then returns inside of the building six minutes later. In the hours following the fire alarms, Phoebe drinks enough to put her three times over the legal, the legal drinking limit. Oh, my God. At 6 p.m., Antony returns home from work. The door to the apartment was already unlocked and shards of glass were found on the floor and the computer desk and mouse were smeared with blood. (gasps) Phoebe's purse was found on the kitchen counter with her wallet, keys, and her phone charger inside. Her flat iron was still plugged in and there were lit candles around the apartment. So clearly she had planned to come back. Or not leave. Or not leave, yeah. There were photos of her and Anthony on the bed and post-it notes with random scribbles and incoherent thoughts posted in the kitchen. Anthony claims that this is normal behavior for Phoebe whenever she's been drinking. Anthony wasn't too alarmed by anything that he saw and pretty much ignored it and got onto the computer. What? Wait, there's blood? And he just ignored it. No, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, that's the one and the one thing that's like what wait <laughs> yeah if i found blood smeared on my computer i'd be like nine one one. so at six twenty-five, anthony called phoebe's father the three of them were supposed to meet up at her favorite restaurant the golden triangle anthony's guess was that she had went ahead without him her father however said he hadn't heard from her as a concerned father would, Lynn asked Antony to file a missing persons report, but Antony assured Lynn that it wasn't necessary and that she would r- return soon enough. Once they got off the phone... Antony Ant- is sketch. Yeah, so once they got off the phone, Antony placed a delivery with the Golden Triangle for one meal. Mm. For one person. Mm-hmm. Odd, huh? Mm-hmm. At 7 p.m., a Valencia concierge employee made her way to the basement in search of a broom. She tried to open the door, but it wouldn't budge. She gave the door a shove, and it finally opened, revealing the body of a woman lying in a pool of blood on the floor. My God. At first, the employee thought it was a mannequin, but unfortunately, it was not. It was Phoebe. At some point, Phoebe left the apartment and made her way to the trash chute on the 12th floor, Somehow, she is able to get inside of the chute and plummet um, 131 feet down, landing on the floor. 
Phoebe survived the fall, <gasps> but her right foot is almost severed by the compactor's blade. Oh, my God. And only hanging on by a tendon. Oh, her jeans are also around her knees with her belt unbuckled and her sunglasses beside her. What? Phoebe begins to drag herself around the room looking for the exit in hopes that she can find it. But unfortunately, she does not make it and either dies or passes out in the pitch black garbage room. Mm. At 7.30, paramedic, paramedics arrive at the scene, but the police refuse to let them in the room to check on Phoebe in fear that she may disturb the crime scene there's literally a possibility that phoebe was still alive during yeah. that time what the hell um yeah what the hell this is the strangest thing i've ever heard right so um phoebe's legs had cuts all over them and her bottom was severely bruised by the impact of the fall from the chute she was roughly 5'7", but after the fall, she measured at 5'4". <gasps> it's unsure as to why I'm this just, happened. Like the impact of her hitting the ground? Or? Yeah, they say she could have been severely compressed or it could have been hard to measure her due to the nature of her injuries on her body. Um, she sustained fractures in both of her legs and her right foot, you know, was almost se severed off, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't really know. And the coroner was like, no, she's 5'4", and I'm going to go with that measurement. But her family was like, no, she's 5'7". So, I don't know. Phoebe also had several injuries that didn't quite match a feet first fall down a garbage chute. There was a cut on the right side of her jaw, blunt force trauma to the left side of her head that was powerful enough to cause brain damage. Oh, my God. God. Along with bruises and grip marks on her right arm, left wrist, and neck. So. I'm trying to figure out, like, how big is a garbage chute? Not big at all. I have a picture of What? One. Yeah. They're pretty tiny. That is insanity. So a garbage chute just, like, goes to a room? Mm-hmm. It's where, like, where the, all the garbage collects? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. God. Yep. So, um, the coroner ruled that Phoebe had entered the shoe between 1230 p.m. and 7 p.m., which is a pretty wide span of time. Mm -hmm. And she entered it in a sleepwalking state due to a mixture of alcohol and Stillnox, which is Ambien. He declared that her love for climbing had likely caused her to climb into the chute without the intention of actually harming herself. What? He ruled out suicide and the involvement of a third party. Mm. Yeah. So during the afternoon, a woman who lived on the sixth floor entered the elevator from the underground parking lot along with a laborer. He pushed the button for the 12th floor and it illuminated without him having to use a key fob, which means that someone buzzed him up. Mm -hmm. Conveniently for this man, though, he told police that he never made it to the 12th floor and considering all or he never okay he never made it to the 12th floor and considering all the buzzer logs for that day had been misplaced it was cleared by he was cleared by police hmm. due to absolutely no evidence suggesting that he made it to the 12th floor so convenient convenient the man 
or the main issue with this case is the difficulty Phoebe would have had in entering a garbage chute all on her own, especially in an intoxicated state. Yeah. Lauren Campbell, who was Phoebe's 70-year-old grandfather and retired police detective, believed that there was no way that Phoebe could have gotten into the chute all on her own. He stated that a woman of Phoebe's size and stature would have needed to, to hold her arms like above her head mm-hmm. to fully enter the chute. It would be impossible for her to do that without someone holding open the door, which had a spring hinge. So, like, you know, if you opened it, it would spring back shut. What the f- this is the strangest thing. Yeah. To add to the mystery, there were no fingerprints on the chute door or steel surrounds. Hmm. So. Not even hers. Not even hers. And it appeared that they had been wiped clean. Mm-hmm. Even if Phoebe... Um, somehow managed to get into the chute without touching anything at all, which is impossible. She would have to have touched the chute to open it. Mm -hmm. There would have still been fingerprints from, you know, other residents throwing their trash away. Yeah. So very odd. I'm looking at a woman climbing into a garbage chute right now. And that looks extremely impossible. Because, yeah. I mean, what? Right. Oh, my God. So, Lauren Campbell started his own investigation after police determined that it had likely been a suicide. He used two of Phoebe's friends to reenact what the police were saying happened. He attached harnesses to them and watched as they climbed into the chute with great difficulty. Both girls were sober and athletic. Yeah. Campbell also points out that the police were... The police made many errors in their investigation, like their failure to actually examine the CCTV. Oh, my God. The CCTV You always struggle footage. with that one. I do. <laughs> um, and they didn't seize the computers in the apartments or test the two drinking glasses that were left in the kitchen. There were also two large shoe prints leading away from the apartment, and the police failed to take samples of them. Oh, my God. Why does this always happen? I don't know. Well, I have a guess, but so Anthony claimed that he couldn't give the police Phoebe's iPhone because he had taken it to the repair um, to get repaired shortly before her death, which is a little convenient and sus to me, but you know. Um, So in place of her iPhone, she was given a Nokia, but Anthony also claims that she had misplaced it. Which is an odd claim considering her purse had a charging cable in it. Mm. So why would she still have, you know, packed a charging cable in her purse if she hadn't, if she didn't have her phone? Right. The phone records show that Anthony had called Phoebe on the day she died. It was a 13 second call, but Anthony insists that he doesn't remember that happening, you know, conveniently. It wouldn't be until four months after her death that Anthony's phone and computer were seized. Hmm. The case was closed as an accident per the coroner's theory of Phoebe going into a sleepwalking state due to the mix of alcohol and Ambien. This did not sit well with Phoebe's family who believed that she was forcefully put into the chute after a disagreement, which I mean, yeah. According to, you know, Campbell, it would be impossible for her. In that state. To get into the chute. That's insanity. Yeah. 
Wow. So Anthony's behavior regarding Phoebe's death was also strange. He was quick to jump to suicide and didn't seem particularly bothered by her death. Officers who were able to um, witness Anthony's reaction claimed that he wiped away tears that were not even there and that he seemed void of any type of emotion and then followed it, followed it, followed it up <laughs> by laying in the fetal position. What? So, very polar opposite reactions. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to judge the way somebody might receive shocking news, but it's still just a little weird. Yeah. All the way around, he's a little weird. Yeah. So the alcohol mixed with ambient theory would definitely make sense if, you know, it was possible for Phoebe to climb into the trash chute all on her I own. Just, I just, like I said, I, I watched this woman climbing into it a few minutes ago. It looks absolutely impossible. And especially with somebody, you know, in her state. Yeah. Drunk and on Ambien. There's no way. There's literally no way. Yeah. And in and, and, um, Campbell's... Um, reenactment or study of it he said that it was very easy for a man to pick up one of the women mm-hmm. who you know were not resisting or whatever and put them into the shoot mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know so um the ambient mixed with alcohol theory would make sense if Phoebe was able to get into the trash chute all on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, it is well known that Ambien mixed with alcohol can cause fatal outcomes. For example, in 2007, um, I don't know how to pronounce this name. It's M-A-I-R-E-A-D, Mayreed, Mayreed, Costigan, who was a 30-year-old PhD student, left her home during the middle of the night without her shoes and only wearing pajamas. After 10 minutes, she had jumped over a ledge and fell 65 feet to her death. Costigan had been taking Ambien to help her sleep for eight months, and it was believed that she had been murdered until surveillance footage proved otherwise. Mm. In cases of homicide and DUIs that have caused bodily injury involving Ambien, there is something called the Ambien defense or the zombie defense. There are a number of celebrities who have blamed Ambien for their strange behaviors, including Charlie Sheen, Roseanne Barr, and Elon Musk. Charlie Sheen once called Ambien the devil's aspirin. Hmm. In 2014, Anthony's sister, Christina Hample, was arrested for cocaine trafficking but never got any jail time for it. In 2016, two years later, she posted a picture of her and Phoebe on Facebook with the caption, in loving memory, I just stumbled across my favorite pic of beautiful Phoebe. I miss you, darling. You are a fragile little flower that no one watered. You and your family were let down by the justice system and those who represent it. Oh, wow. I only hope that one day the truth will come out so that they may have some peace. And that's Anthony's sister? Yep. Hmm. Very interesting. But the post was taken down 12 hours later. Oh, very odd mm-hmm. very interesting the another thing that makes this case very odd is the fact that phoebe was not the only girl that anthony has dated that mysteriously died no way i mean she was the first but it just makes it odd that oh, how did the other girl die i'm about to tell you Oof. so 25 year old bailey schneider was dating 51 year old anthony hample and he tw- likes them young yes yes he does 
2018. So in June of 2018, Bailey went to a nightclub where she worked as a dancer from 6.45 p.m. to 1 a.m. At 1.08 a.m., Bailey took a taxi to Turek for a party, but spent the majority of the time arguing with Anthony over text. Her friends said that she seemed very depressed. At 8 a.m., Bailey took a taxi back to her house, and by 10 p.m., her mom found her sobbing in her bedroom whilst having a panic attack. She explained that her and Anthony had broken up because their worlds were just too different. That's a quote. After her parents consoled her and felt like she was doing better, they left the house to get groceries. Bailey sat on the couch watching Netflix while her older brother Ryan was in his room at the back of the house. When her parents returned home, they found Bailey lying on the kitchen floor with her head leaning against a cabinet. Blood was dripping from her nose and a curtain tie that was from her bedroom was tied around her neck. Holy shit. Bailey's dad cut the knot from her around her neck and attempted CPR, but it was no use. She was already dead. Oh. There were traces of cocaine, Zoloft, and Xanax found in her system, and her blood alcohol concentration was 0.017, which was three times the legal driving limit. There was also a half-empty bottle of wine found in the kitchen with her body. The coroner ruled her death a suicide by the combination of the breakup and the, ho- uh, and the alcohol mixed with her antidepressant. But Bailey's parents were suspicious of her death and thought a third party might be involved. Their main issue being that there was nowhere in the kitchen that Bailey could have suspended her body far enough to kill herself. My God. The coroner, however, figured that she must have hung herself from the pantry door and that it was the only conclusion to be made. How do people do that? It just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. From the pantry door. Right. How do you hang yourself from something that you can touch the floor so easily from? I have no idea. It's like the Jessica Johnson case, hang from a mailbox. I mean, I think you probably can do it, but I feel like it'd be pretty hard. Yeah. I don't think that that would be your method not the, especially hers, the mailbox, that one makes no sense. But I could see maybe tying it against the mailbox, or not not the mailbox, like the laundry door, not laundry, geez. Jesus, the pantry door mm-hmm. and, you know, tying it tight enough. But I feel like, you know, if any amount of pressure were to, were to change, it mm-hmm. would loosen and you wouldn't die. But mm-hmm. I don't know. But, um... Where was I at? Um, so, um, the coroner, um, so that was the only conclusion to be made in his eyes was that she did it from the pantry, which is like, do, do you know if she was hanging from the pantry door? Mm-hmm. Like, it, they didn't say. Was she tied to the pantry door? So, ultimately, the case was ruled not suspicious and closed in 2020. And just unlike Phoebe's case, Antony was the last person to speak with Bailey before she died. Hmm. And for legal reasons, everything I'm about to say is not fact. Okay. And it's, it's just interesting that, you know, his parents are, you know, judges and mm-hmm. whatnot. And, you know, his sister didn't receive any 
jail time for cocaine trafficking and two girls end up dead within years of each other that you're dating under suspicious circumstances right and i'm sure he's wealthy and yeah very wealthy very wealthy (sighs) very Mm. odd i don't like it yeah the age difference is fucking weird enough that the age difference is super super weird to me (laughs) super weird to me I don't well, know. That was super interesting. Well, guys, tell us what you think about it. Was it a suicide or an accident or was there something more sinister involved? Mm-hmm. And we're back guys hello welcome back part two here we go (laughs) so enthusiastic (laughs) so uh this is the grisly murder of 13 year old alex anaya oh Mm. no Mm -hmm. my sources include medium.com truecrimereport.news.blog nwitimes.com people.com and Angel is D's place.com. Mm, okay. That was a tough one. <laughs> so, Alexandra Anaya, also known as Alex, was a 13 year old seventh grader from Hammond, Indiana. She was born on November 4th, 1992. Alex did awesome in school. She was a talented soccer player and a lover of animals. She often volunteered at the local animal shelter and she wanted to be a veterinarian. She also loved riding horses. Alex's mother, Sandra, was a single mom and was the sole financial source of the family. So Alex kind of played mom to her younger twin sisters, Romy and Roxy. Aw, cute. Mm-hmm. Who were six years old and greatly looked up to her. Aww. One of the twins later stated, Alex was like our, our mom. Around 3 a.m. on August 13th, 2005, during summer vacation... Mother Sandra arrived home and was greeted by the still-awake Alex. Sandra stepped out again around 4 a.m., but not before putting the twins to bed and telling Alex she'd see her in the morning. My question is, sure, it's summer vacation, fine, but why are six-year-olds awake at At 4 a.m.? 4 a.m. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. Upon returning home around 6.45 a.m., Sandra found the door unlocked. Uh Uh-oh. This wasn't common for the mature Alex, and Sandra vividly remembered locking the door as she left. Sandra checked the girls' bedroom. Alex and her younger sisters all shared a room, and Alex was nowhere to be found. Initially, Sandra thought that maybe Alex had stepped out out to run to the store. but When was this? What do you mean? What year? 2005. That's Uh, way too late. 13 years old. I'm, okay. 6.45 in the morning. Yeah. Sounds like uh, Alex had a lot of responsibility on her. Yeah. But as soon as she could think maybe she stepped out to go to the store, that thought vanished as she spotted Alex's untouched shoes on the steps. Oh, my gosh. There's no way Alex ran away from home, Sandra thought. She'd never do that. Plus, she was very happy with her current home life. Plus, she didn't have her shoes. Exactly. Sandra called friends and family to see if anyone had heard from or seen Alex. And no one had. 
She then called the Hammond Police Department to report her daughter missing. Police didn't take the report seriously at first. Of course they don't. Of course. Just assuming that Alex's disappearance was an act of teenage rebellion. Alex was probably with a friend, they said. But Sandra knew something was very wrong. Days go by and still no one has heard anything from Alex. It would be just three days later on August 16th, 2005, when a 14-year-old boy was riding a speedboat on the Calumet River in Chicago with his parents when he spotted what he thought was a mannequin in the water. Oh, we both had mannequins. Uh-huh. And a, I thought I locked the door. I'm pretty sure I locked the door. Remember, he said he had locked the door, but it was mm-hmm. unlocked in your story. Yep. As the family approached, the boy's parents realized it was not a mannequin, but the unthinkable human remains. Police were called and and an investigation was started immediately. Local authorities informed Lieutenant Johnson, the lead detective handling Alex's case in in Hammond, about the body, whose horrific suspicions would later prove right. Can I ask you, Mm -hmm. does yours have a definite conclusion? No. (laughs) So we both. Uh My goodness. So the nude female torso had its arms, legs, and head cut off. Oh, my gosh. And was weighed down with chains and straps. Wow. Police called the hysterical Sandra. She gave police some identifying factors, such as a sprained ankle and a scar on the chin. Mind you, she was not yet aware of the dismembered and decapitated state of the body. So was her head nearby? I'll tell you. Okay. A DNS... A DNA test was done on the body since dental records and fingerprints were unattainable by the state of the corpse. And a few weeks later, the results came in that the remains did belong to Alex. Oh my gosh, poor baby. Mm-hmm. The child's the child's cause of death could not be determined by autopsy, but the examiner ruled the death as a homicide. Clearly. Yeah. So Lieutenant Ron Johnson, who has since retired from the police force, said... The mother just fell apart, went down to her knees and crawled on the floor, crying and screaming, just lost it. Oh, poor mom. The autopsy couldn't show a cause of death, but only showed some undigested French French fries. And there wasn't anything in the stomach to indicate that Alex had been doped up or drugged prior to her death. The heartbroken Sandra could only pour... The heartbroken Sandra could only point her finger in one direction. Her ex-husband, Alex's former stepfather, Rudolfo Heredia. He was also the father of the twin girls. Rudolfo had been abusive to the family, and Sandra had left him after Alex alleged that he had been molesting her since she was seven. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. According to Sandra and the police, it couldn't have been a coincidence that Alex's body was found in the river just a block and a half from his home. Wow. Wow. After Sandra left him, he wouldn't take no for an answer. He threatened to kill Sandra, and he stalked the family, even standing on top of his car to peer into Alex and the girl's bedroom. Ew, what a freak. Isn't that disgusting? So nasty. He blatantly ignored Sandra's repeated pleas to leave her and her family alone. He called constantly and was on... Even on one occasion, caught lounging around in the house, having let himself in through what Sandra suspected was a key he had made himself. Uh, The audacity. Disgusting. 
So Rudolfo admitted in court to stalking and even making a key to enter Sandra's home, which is burglary. Yeah. But he was later acquitted of his charges. Why? I don't know. He admitted to it. I don't know. Is that fucked up or is that How many times are we going to let people like this walk through the cracks? Yep. Unfortunately, even with public outrage, he was never formally charged for the murder, being that there was no substantial evidence against him. Alexandra's family has since moved to Texas, and they say that they remember her in the home on her birthday and during the holidays. I still hold out hope that they will find the rest of her and someone will pay for her murder. They took 13 years of my life in one night. I feel my daughter doesn't rest in peace. Her hands are somewhere else. Her head is somewhere else. And that's Sandra. God, that's so sad. I cannot imagine. Mm-hmm. So Ron Johnson, who was the head, you know, lieutenant in uh, the the juvenile division at the time, yeah. says that he'll never forget this case. I don't ever not think about it. It's always on my mind. And he still keeps his own file on the case to this day. Wow. Fifteen plus years later, suspects in the killing still include everyone, said Chicago Police Department homicide detective Sylvia Van Witzenberg. Authorities say that Alex knew her killer. We believe this was not a random act of violence and that Alex knew her assail- uh, assailant. I almost did that again. <laughs> assailant. <laughs> assailant. Assailant. FBI Chicago special agent in charge Michael J. Anderson said during a press conference in 2016. It's been more than a decade since Alex was murdered, and during that time, people in relationships have changed. We are hopeful that someone will come forward now. The FBI has still not named a suspect in the case, and Alex's missing body parts have never been recovered. God, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. You just, like, <clears throat> your kid being murdered is terrible in and of itself Mm -hmm. but imagine only having part of your child like just knowing that their head and their hands are out there in the world somewhere that makes me sick that literally breaks my freaking heart like i feel like i would never stop looking no how would you ever rest how would you ever think straight like it's just oh i couldn't so anyone uh, with re- information regarding alex's death is urged to call the fbi at 312 312- Four two one six seven zero zero. Now, at the end of this case, I have a few things I'd like to talk about. Some things I would like to point out. Uh, some of you listening may be thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Probably the same thing that Alyssa's thinking. And that's where was the mom? Why was a thirteen-year-old basically raising her little sisters? Yes. So I watched a YouTube video where several people, and I strongly, um, this word just alleged, these people alleged that Sandra was out partying. Okay. They also said that she never called the police when Alex claimed that Rudolfo had molested her and basically that she had failed her daughter. Now, this is other people's words. This is not mine. My heart does go out to this woman regardless Mm -hmm. because I would never wish this upon anyone. Right. But if that's what you are out doing, how will you ever forgive yourself? You were out partying 
you never, you know, told the police that this man was molesting your child. You left this child at home to raise your other two children, you know, and in all the articles that I read, I can't say that I found anything different, you know, anything that proved otherwise. Right. It didn't so, say she was out working. Exactly. Like so what were you doing? Right. Yeah. Why was this 13 year old raising these six year old children? I'm not going to blame her directly Mm -hmm. but as a parent it is your responsibility to take care of your children if you know this man is stalking you yeah is watching your home is coming into your home and you still leave your 13 year old i would never ever leave my kids alone after that until i made sure that they were safe for sure and again it's one thing if you're working I, I get it. You have to support your children. Yeah. I, I'm crossing my fingers she was working. Yeah. But from everything that I read and, you know, the people that commented on the YouTube video, it doesn't sound like that was the case. No. So <clears throat> That poor girl. Even if the mom was working, that's so sad. Like, I hate when, you know, the oldest ends up being the caretaker of the youngest because i mean i know it's robbing them of their childhood a lot of people don't have a choice they you know Mm -hmm. they if you're a single mom you're a single daddy you have to work you have to bring in an income to take care of your children but it always makes me so sad for them because they had to grow up so fast never had a fair that's not fair I, I I don't know. I like, mean, I know it happens, and a lot of people have to do it, but... She was probably, like, an extremely mature 13-year-old, and that's really sad. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But my God. I, I mean, and from my, what I read, you know, Sandra and Rudolfo had had a very back-and-forth relationship. They had broken up, gotten back together, broken up, gotten back together. Like, I don't know. I just... You were with him for a really long time. You know what he's capable of, and... I don't know. And you just leave your children at home unprotected. And it sounded like he was a very violent man. I read some other stories of some things that he had done to her and done, you know, with her, you know. And and then your child says he's been molesting me and you're just like, okay, well, I'm breaking up with you. Right. And that's literally it. Yeah. Like, go be free. I I mean, she failed her child. I agree definitely and those poor little kids who Mm -hmm. you know had their older sister to look up to kind of as a mother figure now i wonder if they saw or heard or you know anything i don't know i guess not i didn't read anything saying they did well if the mom put them to sleep before leaving again or whatever then they probably didn't but yeah i mean that's scary because then you know she came home and her two six-year-olds are Mm -hmm. all by themselves yeah like Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even. Well, I just hope and pray they're finally able to put somebody in jail over this. And I hope the rest of her is found because, oh. Yeah, it's extremely sad. Mm-hmm. So I know that was a quick one, but. That was actually very quick. We have, it's only 44 minutes. Wow. And, yeah. Quick story. Yeah. Short episode today, guys. Right. Um. Well, in the meantime you guys can and i don't know why i said in the meantime mm-hmm. um if you want you can join our facebook group at for god's sake don't drink the jones juice and you can follow our instagram and tiktok at don't drink the jones juice and you can 
buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. And, um, <coughs> sorry, you can <laughs> email us your true crime and paranormal, 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 paranormal stories at don't drink the Jones juice at gmail.com. Um, I'm sorry if this episode was kind of blah. I'm so tired. <laughs> and <laughs> It's been a long day. It has been, especially after that shipping label thing. <laughs> and then I also, during my whole entire story, my sugar dropped. And I felt like I was going to die the entire time. So, <laughs> um, well, You did a good job with it. Thank you. I was literally zoning out while I was talking. Do you ever do that? Mm-hmm. You're reading, but you're zoning out. Mm-hmm. So if, I, <laughs> if any of that was confusing, I'm sorry. But anyways, um, thank you guys for listening. And um, hopefully me and Brooke will be able to tell you some cool stuff about Salem. Yeah.